Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming back Joy Laverty. Joy has a reputation for being a path carver and a visionary when it comes to active aging. Knowing that planning is a key feature in creating a long-term quality of life, Joy wrote The Complete Elder Care Planner. Six editions later, this trusted resource remains a bestseller in its category. The American Medical Association says it's the best book we've seen. Joy's work has taken her to every corner of the world, where she's personally interacted with thousands of family members, as well as the professionals in the field of aging. Joy is frequently in the news. You may have seen her on the Today Show or read about her in the Wall Street Journal. Today, Joy's uh, Joy's going to share her planning strategies from her latest book, Who Will Take Care of Me When I'm Old, in your journey towards what's next for you. Welcome, Joy. Thank you, Cheryl. So glad to spend a little more time with you. I know. I feel (laughs) lucky as well. Um, Because people may not have heard our first interview when I interviewed you about the Elder Care Planner, uh, I wonder if you could just briefly share how you got into this in the first place. Because I think, um, you know, it uh, it does speak to my point of view that sometimes really unexpected uh, aspects of our lives come out of loss. Well, now looking back, I, I never realized that I was actually writing the precursor to the new book, Who Will Take Care of Me When I'm Old. And what happened as an experience that got me to write the first book was going to a nursing home when I was 14 years old on Thanksgiving morning and seeing people sitting in the dark. And I couldn't understand how come they were there without family or friends, and they were pretty much all alone. Well, fast forward, the more I talked about my book and gave workshops, inevitably, after every talk, people would come up to me and they would say, you know, my parents have me to take care of them, but who's going to take care of me? Who's going to do this for me? And so it all came full circle when this new book was written. And it's the same message, plan ahead. (laughs) Well, and I know how hard that can be. For instance, one thing I remember from when my wife died is that very question. Uh, I am remarried and, um, uh, you know, so you could say, she'll take care of me, but The fact is, once you know that people do things like die unexpectedly and get sick and become chronically ill, it's a a question for everybody, isn't it? It really is. Uh, Something that we never want to think about, but it is absolutely true. If you read the introduction of my book, you learn about my friend Marty, who is being taken care of on a regular basis by total strangers. He's in the best of care. 
with people he absolutely never knew before he got sick. And that's an interesting point because sometimes I say my retirement plan is being a nice person or being a kind person because <laughs> because okay. the fact is if you uh, money is certainly we'll talk about you know the importance of money but people have all kinds of different resources in that regard including me uh, you know I don't have millions of dollars or anything but I do find that people can get good care if the people that are caring for them come to hold them in their hearts. Oh, that's so true. I know very, very um, poor, not poor, but just they're not wealthy at all, who have so many friends who continue to come to their rescue and nobody has any money. And even when it comes to strangers, you know, when I I work with cancer a lot, Mm -hmm. and I'll I'll say to anyone new that I'm working with who comes into one of my groups or comes into my office, um, whenever you meet a a care professional of any sort, a doctor, a nurse, a aide, whoever, tell them three personal things about you. (laughs) (laughs) You want to be a person, right? Oh, I love that. I, I think that's absolutely right. Um, such a good good concept. So one one thing that of course truly stands out about your book is the just abundance of resources that you've you've collected, um, which um, if that were all there were to the book, that would be so worthwhile because uh, Often people plan at overwhelming moments where it's not a future plan, it's a now plan. And uh, finding resources at that moment is so hard. So how did you go about um, deciding which resources to include? Um, you know, you're pretty, um, pretty far reaching, I'd say, uh, and including YouTube, movies, books, TED Talks, you know, everything current. How did you go about doing that? The first criteria was it had to be an international resource. So this book is available all over the English-speaking world. You can find it in Australia and United Kingdom and so on. So it had to be accessible. Of course, the resources um, spread out uh, depending on where you live or where your loved one lives. So I had to take that into consideration as well. I also talked to millions of people, it seems like. And they uh, and I, I talk a lot about in the book about critical thinking, and I applied critical thinking to the concept of writing this book. I did not make any assumptions. So I got a lot of advice outside of the box and that had to be one of the criteria. What kind of resource was I going to list in the book that would apply to many people and different kinds of people? Diversity was was also on my criteria list. Well, that was very clear to me because, of course, it caught my attention that you did something that very few books that are not specifically for the LGBT community. Very few books actually um, acknowledge that us, me, as a a, um, 
group with its own special difficulties, and I appreciated that in the book. Uh, but I did notice, of course, that you did that with lots of different um, experiences and, and subgroups of culture that um, you did kind of acknowledge the differences between people. Yeah, my vision is that we are all going to end up taking care of each other. And it's a good time right now to open up your heart to people who are not like you, who who do not do the same things as you do and do not think like you. And we need to all get along a lot better as far as I'm concerned. And it shows in the book. Yes, you know, just as an aside on that, I I presented on this topic of LGBTQ end end of life a few years ago, and so uh, I thought I knew so much, but then in my research, I discovered that a lot of San Francisco gay men were going back in the closet to get into um, care homes because they were being being, um, discriminated against. It's still happening, sadly, And, uh, you know, if it's happening in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. uh, we can just imagine some other places. So it's not a, it's not a, uh, the issue is not over. No, the the need is clear that we need to help everyone. Everyone needs to be all inclusive in their mindset. Uh, The minute you put your hand up and say no to someone who is different than you is the minute you begin to go into down another path called loneliness and isolation. Mm. And it's also unprofessional. But it happens all day. It happens all day long. And um, so one of the things that um, the the mission, one of the missions of the book is to open up the eyes of the professionals so that they can see that uh, that may not be a good idea to be to be close minded and to um, clearly we do not have the solutions to caring for each other that we will all need worldwide. And this is, a, this is a door opener to the idea of professionals becoming more entrepreneurial in their thinking in order to create some solutions that don't yet exist. You know, I want people to start getting a taste of kind of the, the, the viewpoint you bring in your book. And I wonder if you would, um, we were talking a few minutes ago about this this sense that people sometimes are solo, sometimes are, um, you know, coupled, and either one can become the other on a moment's notice. Um, and I wonder if you'd just read a little bit from your book. Uh, I think the section is called Join the Club. Sure. Um this is way in the beginning. Uh, you you know, Cheryl, because you have the book, that I spend four, the first four chapters on personal readiness. And this is part of that. Mm. So, it's, so it goes like this. If you are living solo, you are not alone. One in three baby boomers falls into the category of separated, divorced, widowed, or never married. Committed couples, you're not out of the woods either. If one partner suffers from a chronic illness, the other partner typically represents the first line of defense. However, when both need care simultaneously, all bets are off. Nor is being a parent a guarantee that adult children will care for you as you age. 
Simply put, you have no idea whether anyone you love and trust today will accompany you on your aging journey or be by your side up to and until you take your final breath. Let me be clear from the get-go. Marriage is not the goal of this book by any means. Aging solo is the conscious choice of many and it deserves its rightful status in society. If marriage and partnering is not and has never been a desire of yours, this would be a good time to update your language. The use of the word single implies the state of not being married. To proclaim you live solo is more straightforward and powerful. This reminds me of a book that a friend of mine um, got quite far into writing. She didn't finish it, unfortunately, but the title was Women Who Live Alone on Purpose. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, and and I think that... um, I think that does uh, create some particular issues of non-acceptance, et cetera, uh, for people, probably men too, but maybe not quite as radically as women in our society. Um, But, you know, it, it also made me think about my own parents, who my dad was declining, and my mom was trying to take care of him. Well, she was taking care of him, but at her own disservice. Mm-hmm. So even if you have two people and one of them is healthier than the other, um, it's still way too much for most people that are, you know, they were getting towards their 80s at the time uh, that he died. He mm-hmm. Well, he was 81 when he died. And... Um, that's too old to be taking care of someone by yourself. That's right. For many, many people. Um, I call it short-sightedness. And it's okay uh, to be young and healthy and caring for parents and being, you know, zippy and, and having uh, the world ahead of you and all that. But all, all, everything changes when the, when the caregiver and the care receiver go in and out of the different roles. I mean, it just doesn't work. I, uh, let's we 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 have a few minutes left. Let's start this, but we may not finish it by the break. There is to me to me to my mind a mental impediment, though. Um, I think with my parents, you know, we were my brother and I were local. We could come, we could help. They did not want us to, and um, you know, they wanted to spend time with us, but they didn't want us to take care of them. Um, you know, out of false independence or um, uh, not wanting to lose autonomy, all those reasons people have, but that put a tremendous amount of pressure on them. So how do you prepare for the fact that someday you're going to need to let people take care of you? Because, well, the mindset of, of us Just remember, we have a different aging process than our parents. Our parents had no idea they would ever be in this situation in the first place. Uh, uh, That's not the case for us. We are previewing about 30 more years and have full understanding that that's going to be the case. And because we all love our freedom so much, 
uh, chances are we'll begin the process earlier of becoming interdependent with resources and other people in our lives. Our parents, God love them, this word independence is what gets them. You know, I that's a very optimistic view, Joy. Um, however, <laughs> I'm thinking of uh, as a caregiver support group that I run, um, in which... Although, of course, that all those people have been cognitively aware that this that this happens, right? That you reach a point of needing help and all of that. Uh, and they're all in the age group where that tends to happen. But it's coming as a complete surprise to them anyway. It's their partners that need help. But... Um, there's some kind of denial factor even so. Have you found that? Yes and no. Uh, We define it for ourselves. It might be different than the way someone else defines it for their partner. Mm -hmm. Um, I totally think that there is going to be a whole new language that comes around this. We might eliminate the word care, you know, for all I know, and talk about facilitating somebody else's success, even though they're so uh, sick or whatever. So we'll, we'll change just about everything. Thing. Uh, I don't need care, but I sure need facilitating, right? I, I need yes. this. So, and just the fact that you said these people are in a support group uh, says to me that they are getting help. They are in an interdependent relationship, whether they realize it or not. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. Um, you know, when, I, when I'm working with clients and they have a temporary uh, illness or disability, or and we know it's going to pass. I'll always say, "Good practice," because you know, you, you know, you're not up against it, yeah. but you can see what your roadblocks are to accepting help. Because someday you'll need it, and that seems to be a, a way that people actually can um, consider, um, you know. Uh, another view that isn't dependency but is helpful yeah it's like why do people who have a health scare all of a sudden get their act together right. <laughs> why does it take why does it take a health scare oh real is real isn't it yeah <laughs> we're, we're gonna go to our break now and listeners you can find links to my website and social media at the good grief page at voice america to like me follow me all that stuff and to find joy loverdi Go to www.elderindustry.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Relationship issues, anxious, parenting challenges, no more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk 
with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Joy Laverde, author of Who Will Take Care of Me When I'm Old?, and um, coming into this segment, Joy, I wanted to talk about uh, a, a way that you discussed change that I found helpful. Um, you differentiated between change and transition. And I wondered if you could share some thoughts about that, because I think this is such an important point in terms of um, how we face aging. I'm so glad you brought up that distinction because many times when we talk to somebody, they say, oh, there's so many changes going on in my life and I, I'm dealing with so much change. Well, the people who successfully transition into one major change after another spend more time in the transition process than they do complaining and wondering about the actual event, which is what change really is. So successfully aging people tend to spend more time in the transition. And I, when I learned that, of course, this whole book was written uh, by conversing with many old people, uh, people who are at least 10, 20 years and on older than me. 
and I would just continuously ask them a lot of questions. This was one of the major ones. How in the world do you deal with so much change? You've got so much on your plate. And they are the ones who told me, they don't spend much time on the actual event. They spend more time on what can I do? Is this useful? And so on. They go forward. It reminds me of a friend of mine who now has been dead a few years, but when he was maybe mid-80s, he lived to be uh, upper 90s or mid, mid-90s, mid I guess, but when he was in his mid-80s, he said, you know, I've just accepted the fact that many of the people I love are going to die. It's going to keep happening, and um, beyond that, I'm having a great life. Uh, you know, that somehow he learned to accommodate the fact that in that stage of life, he lost many, many, many people. Yeah. And um, it's just a fact, right? Yeah. If you um, live long enough, that's going to happen. And um, the, 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 um, just to finish up, the uh, casualness he said it with mm-hmm. <laughs> was very notable. A word of advice from my old friends is enjoy it while it lasts. And (laughs) that just makes so much sense to me now. Um, And this is what what it's, it's so, it's so difficult to think like this. And of course, we can't plan for that part. We can't plan for how we're going to feel. But we do have choices in how we manage all this change. And of course, uh, this death part of people we know or move away they move away like crazy you know everybody goes away in one way or another and how we manage that is interesting you know i i don't i don't think we can plan either but it does seem to me we can practice um in the sense that of course changes are happening all the time uh when you're 40 when you're 45 when you're 55 um but we can kind of gloss over the transition part. We just feel bad for a while and then go on. Um, it takes some deliberate effort at certain points to actually respond. Uh, but isn't? wouldn't you think that's practice for the changes that we're going to have to um, incorporate as we age? Yes. Uh, what I call that whole uh, it's a feeling, actually, a practicing of living in limbo. And living in limbo, it's not comfortable. We, we, we feel like we can't even go forward. And we, we're just sitting in the middle of uh, limbo and having to deal with those feelings. A lot of the time, can't predict what happens. So pra- the practice part comes in practicing feeling uncomfortable and knowing that the world isn't going to end and that you will be you will be able to weather this storm and just understand that it's a normal part of the transition process and it takes practice i i feel this would be a great time to specifically talk about aging and grief um you know, my wife died when I was pretty young, um, and so I had sort of an uh, earlier profound experience of of loss in my life than some people, uh, not all people, but some people, 
And, of course, she had cancer, so that came along with a lot of other people we became very close to who also had cancer and died. And and so um, I kind of extrapolate that situ- situation as I get older. Oh, I, I have a lot more company now. But um, it means that, in all probability, most people at a certain point in their life um, – have to incorporate loss and grief into their way of living. Yes? Yes, absolutely. Um, it's, it's something we, we never really get used to, and yet it's there. But it just, just the fact that we can miss someone tells us how alive we are. And that's the part that I... I lean toward when someone very close to me, someone who means a lot to me, dies or moves away. I, I continue to say moving away because we feel no less grief when someone decides to move across the country and we're never going to see them again. And they do. And uh, so dying and I, I've found that dying and moving away, I have these same real profound feelings for both situations. Yes, I, I, I agree with you. It is, especially given social media, a little bit uh, of a different type of loss in the sense that we can maintain contact. But what I'm aware of is people who age and must move nearer to people who can take care of them, and they actually aren't able to be in touch that much. So they're they're alive, but they're not in communication, and right. that's um, very painful. Yes, and I think we have to talk more about that in our lives uh, to to people. Uh, we have to go through that loss no no less than if someone died. I think it's important to be able to articulate the feelings, and I do that a lot. A lot of people have moved out of my life. Yeah. Hey, it's a great moment for you to read a little more from your book, The Broken Hearts Club. Uh, it speaks to, you know, incorporating a um, an acceptance of grief in our lives as we age. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would like readers to know that there is the, I, I will weave in how this turns into something that we can incorporate in a positive light. So here's the section called The Broken Hearts Club. As years pass, family members and longtime friends die off. The older we get, the more we are left behind. Time is not a healer, and grief is a constant companion. The heart aches as a testament to loving people deeply. As life becomes emptied each time another loved one dies, we do not die with him or her. In fact, just the opposite may occur. Death is the ultimate prioritizer that allows us to move forward and live full out, claiming what time is left for us. When someone you love dearly has died or leaves you in another way, such as divorce or estrangement, you become a member of the Broken Hearts Club. Loss of one kind or another is the key that opens the door, handing you an experience you can get nowhere else. 
What becomes important are the choices you make and the stories you tell yourself as you journey on the path to aloneness. Journey on the path to aloneness, that's a phrase. Right. I, I guess many people say we all die alone uh, in the sense that that's, we all have to do the work of that. We can be supported and loved and, and all of that, but um, there is a sense of falling away. So maybe in a way, these relationships that, that end in whatever way as, as we age or practice for that. Yeah, I, um, I, there's, as we've talked about it, there is no preparation for this, but what, what, how I view it is the more, this is where the spiritual journey starts to creep in here, <laughs> and, you know, and it does creep in because you say, oh, I'm never going to say, oh, what's it all about, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just too big. Um, we are on a journey on the path to aloneness, but it does not mean we are not 100% a, a living, breathing human being on this earth who is capable of great things on the journey, even mm-hmm. though we may have more and more people that we knew uh, leave us in some way. This is really important. We, we all get real attached to the people we love. Of course we do. But that doesn't mean that we're left as an empty shell. And that's the part that I practice over and over again. Is you know, Like I said in the book, we do not die with that person. The opposite may occur. We claim this time for us. You know, you're reminding me of when my dad died and my mother, uh, being a person who was pretty resilient in many ways, um, like the week he died, she had to move his chair. Um, She needed a physical reminder that life was changing. And, um, you know, interestingly, she had some, she, she, of course, missed him. They were, they had a very good marriage. She missed him terribly until she died, but she also had a very good life at the same time. And uh, I think that's what you're talking about, that both can be true. Yes. Um, It's interesting that we, we look at these things that are in our life and move them around. That's a that's a great uh, that's a great metaphor of actually physically moving something. Uh, I've heard many times that that is what uh, is a good idea to, to give that a try. I've done that in my own life with things uh, that are that I possess, items I possess that that are one hundred percent a part of me and another relationship. And what I do with that item is I acknowledge it, and sometimes I give it away, or sometimes I get rid of it. It's uh, it, When you were talking about practice before, that's something we can do. Go through your closet. You'll see all kinds of things that could go. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm working on that. I, I wanted to get around to talking about that because, there, my goodness, there's so much activity or things to do 
in your book that I've, you know, I believe in and agree with. Uh, and then there's another point where you're talking about um, learning to go slower and take your time. And I was feeling a cacophony in my mind as I was reading, you know, <laughs> that um, it's very hard to, even if you're willing to let go, which I am, uh, just the work of it can take so much time, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. But it's worth it. It's, it's, it's worth doing the work that the book suggests. Because the the idea is to be on the deathbed with no regrets, and this this that takes so much work. Well, I have noticed, you know, I'm anything but retired at the moment. My life is really busy, but my wife is semi-retired, and she's cleaning out closets. She's getting rid of stuff. She's mm-hmm. cleaning up. You know, she's having a real burst of uh, of organizational energy um, released by not having to go to work every day. So <laughs> maybe she'll get us started a little bit there. Uh, yeah, you know, it's nice to be able to do that with someone. So uh, I I do that all the time. And um, one of my favorite thing, and you see in the money section of the book is, boy, that is such, you not only have an opportunity to get rid of something that is of value, but you might also give it to someone, which is priceless, a priceless, like it could be a necktie for goodness sake. And just just to be able to uh, transition into that, that concept of, of, yes, you're you're getting rid of something. You're getting rid of a, a, a simple necktie, but it has so much meaning, and it takes a lot of practice. You know, I we just had an experience yesterday of that where we were driving down the street, and there was a man sitting on the curb with the police standing over him because all he had on was underwear. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if he got kicked out of his house. I don't know what happened. But um, he was, it was cold here yesterday, believe it or not. It's California, but it still gets cold. And we pulled over, and all we had in the back of our car was a towel. Mm-hmm. And so my wife ran back and gave them a towel to put around him. But we were like, let's take all those old jackets that we have <laughs> in our closet that we're not wearing and keep them in the car. What um, a great idea. You know, that, that kind of simple idea that just came out of seeing that man, you know, messed up in some kind of way anyway, and then freezing cold. Uh, we can make a difference there, and it feels good. It does. It does feel good. And, and it's very difficult to get started. Uh, we have this conversation a lot with uh, people, you know, just bring up the clear your closet conversation and you're going to get all kinds of reactions from people from I love it I do it it's fabulous too they put their head in their hands and they say woe is me it's it's so hard so you know everything in between yeah when we come back from our from our uh, second break I want to talk about all those kinds of griefs like needing to move, um, letting go of stuff, you know, all of those kind of things that um, facilitate aging gracefully but are, are so hard to do for so many people. So let's talk about that when we get back. 
Um, listeners, you can go to my website, weatherandgrief.com, the Good Grief Host page. To find Joy Laverty, go to www.elderindustry.com. Back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Have you heard of nutritional balancing? Your body's biochemistry affects the mental, physical, and emotional aspects of your life. Many of the diseases we face are related to an imbalance of the mind, body, and spirit. Find out how to get everything back in line when you tune in to Healing Treasures of Wisdom with host Daniel Solomon. Learn how to heal yourself and your family every week. Listen Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Joy Laverde to talk about her book, Who Will Take Care of Me When I'm Old? The subtitle is Plan Now to Safeguard Your Health and Happiness in Old Age. And um, I, I, I love that it's a book, Joy, full of tons of resources um, that also is focused on um, satisfaction, I guess, in living. Um, that that it's kind of an underpinning for, um, you know, all of the practical things are sort of an underpinning to life being um, more than livable, enjoyable, and, and meaningful. Uh, that's, that's a precious idea. You know, we can't help but be reminded that everything is precious, about every single day, even the bad things that happen, 
we can take a deep breath and the older we get, the more we have the relationship of experience to count on. And we don't have to sweat the small stuff every time and feel good about it um, as we go forward. That only comes with age. And that's one of the gifts we get. You want to really double it, hang out with people who are 20, 30, 40 years older than you, and they will really show you how to live. <laughs> Amen. I yeah. have, I have a, a almost 90-year-old friend who's having a, an absolutely, I've mentioned her on the show before because it just stands out so much. She's having a hugely passionate affair. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. And meanwhile, she's had a TIA a couple times. You know, she's got the regular stuff yeah. for her age. But she's uh, her husband, who was the love of her life, died. But she's having quite a wonderful, uh, wonderful second um, romance. So. Oh, that's pretty great. Cool. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, and this this might uh, be an odd segue, but a right segue. Um, you know, there are so many things that force us to let go, um, like chronic illness, like um, uh, not being able to afford your place because your partner dies. You know, all of these things that are more forced changes, like your eyesight goes, you can't drive anymore, which is so, so, so common and um, I find that people resist those things as long as possible. When I when I when I pray for my future, I pray that I'll know in time to let go of things. Um, um, <laughs> do you have any words of wisdom on that? Oh, well, I, it's such a profound uh, experience to see that happening. That I I wonder that myself. Am I going to go straight into denial? When I need a walker, am I going to just say, no, I don't, and risk? Uh, or am I going to take that as a sign of being responsible? I have a feeling that I will go forward and get a hearing aid, do the walker thing, um, be, be safer, quit driving when I'm supposed to, and so on. I have a feeling I'm going to do that. But I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if perhaps there are some things I'm going to hang on to longer than I should. And with the help of people around me, this is the other reason why I'm going to be, I'm t- always surrounding myself with people that I love, who love me, actually, so that I ask them, a re- on a regular basis, I ask them questions. Am I crazy or is this the way things are? And we, we have discussions uh, about how things are perceived by other people. Now, that takes a lot of courage because sometimes I don't like to hear what they have to say. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. my daughter yeah. tells me my hearing's not so good. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but she's right. Yeah. She's absolutely I, right. I know what you're talking about. I have hearing aids. Mm-hmm. And I and I resisted for a, quite a period of time. Um, and the only thing that got me to do it is that my family was getting irritated with me all the time, which I hate. 
Uh-huh. So that right. got me to test it, but I, I learned something interesting, which is if you have an uncorrected hearing loss for enough time, your brain forgets how to process the sound. Well, that's reason enough to get that. Is that? <laughs> he yes. told me that, and then he tested for it. And between the time when he the, the technician told me about it and the time that he tested me to make sure it wasn't true, I was pretty nervous, right? Yes, I'll bet. So I highly recommend, and I'm and I'm very happy now that I can hear again. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, that's a little plug for hearing aid. <laughs> <laughs> can you can you share the part of your book about chronic illness, and then we can talk about what potentially does come out of accepting something like chronic illness, um, not to. Uh, you know, there's always the other side of things, the loss, and then whatever you can make of that. Well, this this section of the book discusses chronic illness as as something that's going to be in our life most likely, and it does it it does not necessarily uh, make or break us. So here's here's what I wrote about chronic illness. I call it the game changer. No one plans to be sick. When a chronic condition is here to stay, it takes its toll on the body, mind, and bank account. Every one of my old friends is managing the physical and emotional challenges of a chronic condition. I would never think of these friends as broken just because they are sick. After all, they certainly don't. I marvel at their courage and grit. They fight the urge to pull inward and isolate themselves. They fight hating medical treatments and procedures. They fight the anger of knowing that life goes on with or without them. With no cure in sight, the diagnosis of a chronic illness comes as a blow. What lies ahead is a veritable minefield of uncertainties. Your safety net now has a hole in it. You know, this this really resonated with me when I read it uh, while reading the book because uh, having lived with someone who had a um, debilitating and progressive illness, my first wife, and became more and more and more disabled, um, the way I used to describe watching the way she lived her life was that she learned to live through a smaller and smaller head of the pen. Mm-hmm. But it, the life was not less big. It was just a smaller head, <laughs> a smaller opening Yeah, uh, for the same big life. And um, it can be done, but it is challenging. Well, I do spend a lot of time assisting people with things we can do. If even if we're in pain, if we if we are not able to walk anymore, we the minute we're in the presence of another person in the same room, we are now vital to that other human being, and possibly they are to us. And I never uh, we talk about this idea about being invisible, which doesn't happen in my life because. Every time I'm with someone, I don't care if it's the lady at the grocery store, I'm looking in her eyes and I'm engaging with her as best I can, not so that she'll acknowledge me, 
but so that I will acknowledge her. And that's the part that we will all, chronic illness or not, to practice that is, is gives us a life of purpose. And that's all it is. It's just one person in the same room with another person. That's it. I, I want to put a note in that you talk about that in terms of Alzheimer's too, which I just think mm. is so crucial. We're so mind-defined. But, right. but right. in fact, when our minds are not acute, when, when we lose the acuity, we are still human and we are still uh, feeling creatures. Uh, there's a lot of work that we have to do. We have a lot of catching up to do to the United Kingdom who ha- and, and the Netherlands. And there are many examples of how people with, who are living with the symptoms of dementia, whether it's Alzheimer's or just a simple dementia, how they are seen as whole people and how we can all be trained to assist people and learn to recognize uh, the, the times when someone is struggling with that. I'm probably most excited about how the world will change as we go forward to the world of some people having dementia and others who do not. It's going to get really interesting. Uh, I agree it's going to get interesting because there's so many of us, <laughs> us baby boom- boomers, and we've we've always had an impact because of that, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, you know. Yes. We're going to impact just about everything we put our hands on in a positive way um, because the system is terribly broken now. So, uh, you know, people now, Cheryl, every time I tell someone the title of this book, you can see the wheels turning and they be, almost begin the process of saying, oh, I, I, I know we can do this and we can do that. And this is how I can be a part of the solution. I, I find that very exciting. I mean, I can't ever tell if the if if there really is a higher level of conversation going on or if I'm just talking, you know, a lot yeah. about it, who also want to talk about it. But um, it's actually kind of thrilling that we could reinvent, claim back some of what we've lost in terms of humane um, end of life and invent new things. So I, I'm also quite excited about that. We'll have to get together in a few years and see what's changed. <laughs> right. And, I would love to do that. So we've come to the end of our time. It sped by for me, and I've really appreciated our conversation. Um, greatest of luck with this new book. I, I hope people will go, go get it, if not even to read, just to you know, have on hand so they can look in the index when they have a need. Because yes. it's just a great resource. So thanks been, so much for the book and the time with you. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Talk with you soon. Um, so everyone, you can go to find the book and Joy Laverty at elderindustry.com. Next week, I'll have Julie Nirenberg and Victoria Brewster, authors of the recently released book, Journey's End, Death, Dying, and the End of Life. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. 
Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.